And uh, I remember that uh, group of our leaders that they were together and they were and ran from the Taliban on those days. And they told us that pray with us because we are praying that if Taliban kill us, they kill all of our families. They don't just kill the man and take the woman. So, so literally we prayed for that. Imagine how difficult it is to pray that the Taliban would kill the entire family of that, you know, the people that we love, the people that we see them physically, hug them, we sit down, we had meals together. So that that bad, a country would go that bad that um, a father would pray that if they kill me, they would kill my children and my wife as well. Welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast, a podcast for Christians spooked by the growing hostility in the culture today. We will tackle a range of topics from current events, persecution, missions, and what it means to be the church. You will gain valuable insights from those experienced working with persecuted Christians around the world, insights we all need to chew on in these strange days. Together, may we help the church stand. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Christian Emergency Podcast. I'm Andy Coleman, your host, and I'm glad you're joining us. Today we are going to be looking at Afghanistan one year after the fall of the Afghan government and the rise of the Taliban to power. So much has happened in the last year, and shockingly, there's very little information that's trickling out about the Christian community in Afghanistan right now. And as believers around the world, we have an obligation to lift up and pray for and support those that are in need. If a limb of the body is hurting, it's the it's the job of the rest of the body to lift up and sustain that hurting limb. We are very honored to have joining us Luke. Luke has been with us twice before. We talked once in December 2020 when he was just covering a little bit of his testimony, how he came to faith, and just what the nature of Christianity in Afghanistan looks like. He joined in July of last year, July 2021, and right now as we're recording, it's July 2022. But in that interview... He was trying to raise awareness about the dangers in Afghanistan as the Taliban was advancing and taking ground. And most of the media, very few people were tracking that. And yet it was just a month later when everything just collapsed and the the world took notice. Um, And so there was a flurry of activity at that time. But since then, the world has largely gone quiet on the topic of Afghanistan and particularly on the topic of Christians in Afghanistan. So we're going to do what we can to give all of you uh, a good update. But if you want to go and listen to those two previous episodes, they are available. I would encourage you to do so. They're very informative. But we're very honored to have Luke back with us. Luke, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an honor to be back on the podcast again. Well, I like I said, we had those two previous conversations And what was notable then is that there was very few voices in December 2020, even then, talking about Christians in Afghanistan. And then when we talked in July 2021, there was very few voices talking about the situation in Afghanistan. And here we are again, July 2022, and very few voices are talking about Afghanistan, even the the Christian experience uh, under Taliban rule in Afghanistan. So a lot has been going on. I'm glad that you're going to be able to shed some insight for us. For those of those of our audience that don't know you or haven't listened to the previous episodes, can you just give us a brief introduction as to who you are and what your ministry looks like? 
Um, I was born and raised in Afghanistan, and of course, I have come to know the Lord during my university years, reading the Gospel of John, John chapter 10, verse 10, was the turnover of my life here. It made me to think deeper. And uh, since then, I have been uh, working with the House Church Network in Afghanistan as a member, and I've been in prison at once, and I've been in exile for a couple of years now and still in the region, but I've been involved remotely helping training the leaders of the house churches in the last couple of years. And we had our um, network of Afghan house church network that a uh, number of leaders involved with that and our network grew to a couple thousand uh, believers uh, since uh, July that we speak right shortly after that, there was so much incidents that happened. And for some of the reasons we were not able to talk about the safety of the believers and around and, and out, but of course you have been involved and, and you're aware of, of, of that and have been praying and raising awareness with the Christians in many ways to advocate for the Afghan Christians. So since then I've been involving and helping the, the Christian network who are most in danger of all other religious minorities because of the nature of being converted and the conversion and so I've uh, been full-time with that. And uh, of course, we are partnering with a number of organizations and so many people that are involved and work with us. Yeah, you have been very, very busy. I'm sure it has been a very stressful, stressful year. And I, I'm going to ask for a particular prayer request later in our talk today, but I can, I can just share with our audience right now that I would welcome prayer for Luke, uh, for his family, for his um, ministry partners. They are shouldering a lot, and it can be very intense, and it's spiritual warfare. Um, there's all kinds of things that will be pressing to, to push push him down and to weigh down his effort. So if you could just remember him in your prayers, I'm sure Luke would be grateful. So again, you have the two previous episodes where there's a lot of good background information about the situation in Afghanistan, but I want to look at what has happened since last summer in 2021. Um, in those months, in August and September, it was very chaotic. It was uh, difficult to get good insight, good information, so many moving parts. Um, but now that as we look back and the dust has settled to a little bit, can you just tell us what it was like in those first few months after the Taliban came to power? Um, as we spoke in July, the Taliban were advancing, and in August, they started capturing the capital of provinces. In July, they were more on the district level and the remote area, but the concern was that the Taliban are coming, but we did not knew that they will come that fast. Um, at least Kabul was not expected to fall in the hands of Taliban just a couple of weeks after we talked. And so we were still trying to talk with the Christian community, with the leaders, asking them what are the wise ways to do because they are in danger at risk, especially some of the known leaders. And they are just the time we were talking, they were receiving threatening letters, messages, phone calls uh, from various groups of Taliban. We know who you are. We're coming for you. And so we talked, I had a Zoom call with a number of leaders and speaking with them of what they want to do. They want to leave in Afghanistan and want to go to nearby countries. All of them said, no, they want to stay. So everyone decided to stay. Nobody wanted to leave. And then, of course, August started and capitals of the provinces started falling. The Christians were just moving toward the, the capital and we were rushed with so many people that we could house and accommodate. That's just the, the, also the nature of how dangerous it was to, to bringing, you know, sharing houses. So we start helping as much as we could 
it comes to Kabul, we tried to get a number of our main leaders that were well-known, very spoken in the years and, and to at least to get a visa for them to get them. But a number of our leaders that uh, were about to fly out and the earliest tickets we can get for them was in August 26. And of course, August 26 was too, too far because of Kabul fallen in August 15. Uh, we had also had a, a, a network um, and, and the Afghan Christians who decided to change their religion and their IDs. And one of the ways that they just put them because a number of them that went and their the new identification that you could choose your religion, they decided to choose Christianity and, and for their families. So know that they are in the system, that they have the biometric, know they are at risk. And so, but we couldn't do Kabul fall and we have so many at risk. And, and of course that uh, <clears throat> nobody was able to leave either by land or, and then the evacuation flight started from the Kabul airport because the Kabul airport was the only place that the NATO was controlling. And as, as 10,000 people trying to get around the airport, there was just no way for us to help people. A uh, number of Christians, they stepped in to help and evacuate some of the leaders, but we had very little success to get people in the Kabul airport, just that the military, they wasn't helping and they were uh, all do one of the categories that they committed to help was Afghans at risk. And obviously the Afghan Christians, especially Christians who have changed their ID religion, they were at risk, but unfortunately we couldn't get much of a sexual, we just very little number of people that were able to fly out of Kabul airport. And so, there was a bomb explosion and God's deliverance and God's presence we saw through that time of difficulties and, and a very dark situation. But we saw how God was protecting families with their kids without going to sleep. They were sleeping on the streets. They could not. Many Christians, they just locked their houses and they just left, left everything. They could not go back. No money, no food, banking system was closed, no electricity, no way to go. They could not carry identity and a very difficult situation. Children would get um, sick, children was dehydrated and, and they couldn't go to hospital. So the, the situation was very difficult. We went with a number of people just without sleeping for days and days. And of course, many people were involved uh, to, to help them, but it wasn't anything until Kabul airport, August 31st closed and the last American soldiers left there. So you now we had still hundreds of Christians in the country under the, the, this, the just the blue sky, nothing. And But of course, God never forgets his children and he is promised to be with us, his presence, and, and he delivers his, his children. So we also learned that Christian are too with the persecution to expect that but this is a very different way we are afghanistan was one of the top persecuted countries in the world and now it come to passing the north korea to be number one persecuted country taliban imposing the sharia law uh, the, the the punishment for apostate is, is punishment by death and with this system of taliban they could carry that on the street level every taliban soldier could execute a Christian or a suspicion of Christians apostate on the street and there would be no uh, trial, there would be no charges against that Taliban member that, 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 so that would be even honored for that. So we have women, we have children, we have a lot of young women, young girls in the fear of Taliban taking them, cases that have happened that they attempt uh, 
Um, we got a number of, uh, in the months of August and September, and uh, a good number of Christians safely out of Afghanistan. Of course, the, the number of uh, uh, private organizations, they started doing the evacuation flights. They were finally able to get some uh, permissions, and they did a number of flights, which a number of Afghan Christians also got into that flights by God's providence, and they are relocated to the countries in, in the Middle East, which we're also thankful for these countries to open up their airspace and even receiving the Afghan Christians. But again, as we are talking of a year later after that, and by 10 months that this Afghans are still in the refugee camps around, and there is no country that are willing to take the Afghan refugees. So Afghans who work with the governments, Europe or uh, Canada, America, they took them. Of course, they're the priority because they work with these governments or their military. But then we have the second layer of Afghans uh, that was Afghans at risk that was eligible to relocate. And unfortunately, of the religious minorities, Christians have not been taken by any of the countries. And yet that we are talking very little interest in any country to take the Afghan Christians. For some reason, even blocking or even uh, opposing Afghan Christians, they are being labeled as immigrants and many other ways that we are talking, especially from the Department of State. So there's so much going on. So you have uh, Afghans that are s- still inside the country that want to stay there, and perhaps they, they've just chosen that. You have other Afghans who are, have tried to get out, and they're stuck inside. You have other Afghans who got out partially, but they're in a middle country somewhere, in a refugee camp, a, a lily pad situation where they're, they're, they were planning to hop off of it and land in some permanent location, but they're unable to do so. Um, and then you have Afghans that have uh, successfully uh, gotten out and are in different areas, whether it's Canada, Europe, or, or Brazil, or other locations. So still a very complex situation, still very chaotic. We will return to the podcast momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsor. Being a Christian today can be hard. This is true if you live in a heavily persecuted country like Iran or areas where cultural pressures against Christians are growing fast, like America and Europe. Fortunately, none of us have to stand alone. We are part of a giant body, one huge spiritual family that spans the globe. That is the church. The Christian Emergency Alliance is committed to helping the church stand, regardless of the pressures to come. As a 501c3 nonprofit, the Christian Emergency Alliance strives to help our spiritual family when persecution hits. We also strengthen the church by supporting ministry that makes Christ famous, defends biblical truth, and prepares fellow believers for challenges ahead. You have the opportunity to make a huge impact in this work today. Become a monthly financial ally of the Christian Emergency Alliance by signing up at ChristianEmergency.com. Your support of $25 a month or a gift in any amount will bless those who need help in these darkening days. Help the church stand today, tomorrow, and in the days to come. Register today at www.christianemergency.com. And now, back to the show. Um, I, maybe I just want to unpack that a little bit, one at a time. For those, Afghanistan, for those Afghanis who are still in the country, uh, what is it like for them today? What, what does life look like for them? The Afghan Christian community went in hiding, just as a general. And thousands of Afghan Christian communities just had to hide because of their identity and who they are. And, and I think that this is not new to the story in the Middle East that the Christian mass immigration is happening. Jews and Christian mass immigration has happened over and over and over. And Afghanistan is not an exception. And it's not the first time that even happening in Afghanistan. So in a few centuries before Afghan Christians, there were Christians in the history that they had to mass immigrate it or they just 
distinguish. We don't know where, where they are. And then the Jews that had to leave Afghanistan, Afghan Jews who was born there and they have still lands there, their properties there, they just had to leave again and in the 50s and the 60s. And again, there are right now Christians that is a mass immigration or mass exodus of Christians from the country, which is a sad thing. But, but also a number of Afghan Christians who feel that they want to stay and the life for them are, are, are very difficult. As we talk, their kids don't go to school. They're still in hiding. There is no jobs for them. Just generally the country in a very difficult situation. Unemployment rate is just 90% because the biggest employer was government. The government falls, the system falls, the new regime comes. They only employ their people who fight for them. So of course they want salary. And not that they're only doing that, that they're expecting people to pay for that. And most of the rural area people have to pay in many various ways for their soldiers. They have to give money. They have to do this. They have to give them tithes and offerings so that they can feed their people. But the Afghan Christian community is in hiding. Slowly they are coming up, but the life is not normal for them. And so there is still a lot of risk. One of the women are unconsciously in fear. And, and of being identified and children, they're not going to school. Of course, the girls over grade six are not allowed to go to school at all. But for Christians, even grade one or two, they're not going to school, not their boys, not their girls. Well, tell us about the Christians that are in the refugee camps, like you know, lily pad countries. It's not a permanent arrangement. What is life like for them? What What challenges do they face? What do you foresee is going to happen next for them? I think a situation of being waiting for nine, 10 months is it's just very difficult. Although in some of these lily pads, the host government, especially in the Middle East, are taking care of them logistically, but just being stuck in one building and not be able to leave that is just very difficult. It's uh, bringing a lot of um, stress and even depression for their kids, for the woman and for teenagers because they are not able to to go out and just live a normal life, but also just waiting that never happens. And today and tomorrow, it's just a very difficult situation. It's a, it's a difficult thing. They are trying to meet together to encourage each other to pray, but it's just the struggle is not 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 finished. That the difficulties continues. For who has stayed in the country, life is difficult. For who decided to leave, also life is difficult. Thankfully, a number of Afghans have been coming to the U.S. Very little, below hundred. We had a couple hundred Afghans that were able to go to Brazil. Actually, Brazil is the only country that has offered Afghan Christians a permanent residency or a humanitarian visa. That's But again, with opening that, it's just their embassies with having very low capacity in the region, only a very few embassies assigned to, to issue humanitarian visas. The embassies are very overcrowded. And the difficulties, the challenges with logistically that that brings to be able to get an appointment, to be able to work through that is just the process is very slow. Yeah. And in those refugee camps, the Afghan Christians are just mixed in with everybody, right? Is it a, is it a safe environment for them? Have they had any problems? How does that look? And one of the particular countries we have heard that, you know, this local imam that is from the refugees in the camp have spoken that we have Afghan Christians here, you know, we have to stand against them. And so if they find out that they are Christians, they do not allow their kids to go on the playground. They just isolate them. And, and, and it's just that they are also in fear constantly and fear of in danger, physical danger, but also uh, they are kind of outcasted from the refugee camps, even if they find out some, in some cases we have even that they physically wanted to attack, they had to report to the security. And we're talking in countries like Germany, 
Afghan Christians have been attacked in Germany in a US military camp, or Afghan Christians have been attacked in, in a US military camp in the US and they use soil. The other Afghans wanted to attack them and so that they had to report to the security to help them. For the for the Afghan Christians that were able to get out to other countries, Brazil or other spots, what has life looked like for them? Have they been able to maintain their fellowship? What what is it like for them? They're spread it off the way that and if you're talking in Brazil, they're just spread it because of their house, their hosting, and they have to go through the language learning that is, but yes, they are doing fellowship together if there is two three families together and they're they're meeting together of course slowly they will adjust to the new community the language biggest barrier to be able to communicate now even if you're in brazil even if you speak some english then you have to learn the portuguese language um us is the same thing with but they are trying to if they're closer they're trying to have at least a fellowship or a bible study together to pray together to be able to encourage uh, we do have some online meetings that's going on. That's not just in the U.S. or Brazil, but just, you know, we have a number of fellowships that goes over the week. So that's kind of keeping everyone included and encouraged as they are able to join. But for the Christians inside Afghanistan, that's a challenging security-wise, but also even internet connection or electricity. That's just a, a challenge for them to be able to attend on those meetings. I can only imagine. Okay, I want to return back to the Afghans that are in the most dangerous circumstances, those that are still inside the country. Has the last year been as intense as we feared under the Taliban? Do we know of actual attacks on Christians? Have Has, has there actually been uh, people killed for their faith in Christ? What has the last year looked like under the Taliban specifically? Uh, Afghans in the country, we have two different groups of Afghans who are still trying to leave the country due to the challenges of getting a passport or getting a visa. They had to wait for that. And Afghans are not going out. Life for both of them are not that normal, but yes, they have been in, in aunt. Like we have Afghan Christians that they have to relocate every couple of weeks or even every couple of days. Um, Afghan Christians have been arrested and uh, they're out. We somehow lost contact with them. From our network, we don't know anyone that was killed, but we get reports um, from other networks, which we cannot verify, but also we cannot deny that the, the fact that didn't happen. And of course, if Taliban are executing someone on the street, they will never say that was an Afghan Christian because of you know they're trying to have this nice face to the world that, oh, no, we're changed. So that would be other labeled. And this assassination is ongoing. Um, and they have killed hundreds and hundreds and thousands of Afghan former military, uh, former police that have nobody find out because of the, the, the media is not reaching in Afghanistan. One way the access to the information is very limited. And then the international media is only allowed to go, go to Kabul and pretty much on a pre-settled situation that they can interview people. They're not allowed to go to the remote areas. People are afraid to talk. Even on the social media, people cannot. People have been put in prison because they like a Facebook page post. And um, uh, we do know that lots of female police officers in Afghanistan have been executed, even they have been taken from their homes and killed. And so, so for the same thing goes with the Christians or even other minorities, if they find out definitely, but just because of lack of information and access to the country, we just don't know of how and the way that we lost the contact with so many Christians. What has surprised you the most about the last year? I think falling Kabul, falling Afghanistan that quickly in the hands of Taliban, that's surprising. Seems like even a stage, 
that it was kind of planned to be up to, to go like that president fleeing from the country. Uh, and we had an army, we have an army of at least two, 300,000 that they were getting salary from that, but all that come that there was just a number, they were just trying to get money for that, but they had the equipment. Of course, the leadership was that the soldiers wanted to fight the Afghan in Afghanistan, the Afghan army didn't lose in the, in the, in the, in the, in the battlefield. They lost in politics because of the corruption of our government and, and, and the leadership that were lacking um, uh, qualifications to lead on, on that. And we didn't have a leader to step in, the lack of unity. But I think the surprise was that how fast it falls. And, and, and a group of people with motorcycles, motorbikes, they would drive in Humvees and MRAPs and, and, and people would flee with uh, uh, helicopters and, 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 and Humvees and they would come away with the motor, motorcycles. It's just that how unprepared everyone was for that. Yeah, in a way, it reminds me of the, the Blitzkrieg style of what we saw with ISIS you know, in 2014 across Syria and Iraq, it was just a, a rapid flood of expansion. And here's the Taliban taking over the whole country. It was in, in just days. I mean, I remember after we talked in July of 2021, just how it was breaking my heart just to see the rolling news about a new capital that fell and that they were on the outskirts of Kabul and then Kabul was fallen. Just, just heartbreaking. And I can only imagine what it must have been like for the the Christians there, these these parents, these kids, um, all of them. So it's very challenging. What do you think is most important for Christians outside of Afghanistan to know or to appreciate about the situation facing Afghan Christians? I think that for me as an Afghan Christian going through difficulties, being in prison, I saw the courage of the Afghan believers, man and woman, that they strong, stayed strong on their faith and believing God in a situation like that is just not easy. And uh, I remember that a group of our leaders that they were together and they were and ran from the Taliban on those days. And they told us that pray with us because we are praying that if Taliban kill us, they kill all of our families. They don't just kill the man and take the woman. So, so literally we prayed for that. Imagine how difficult it is to pray that the Taliban would kill the entire family of that, you know, the people that we love, the people that we see them physically, hug them, we sit down, we had meals together. So that that bad, a country would go that bad, that um, a father would pray that if they kill me, they would kill my children and my wife as well. So so it went really difficult in, in that situation. And of course, we saw God's hands and we saw the unity of the church in that situation that the Christian from all over the world, they were united to help Afghan Christians. The church was united to help Afghan Christians. And of course, the church uh, doesn't have a political power to help. But, uh, you know, as a, as a body of Christ, they stand united in prayers and even in practical ways to help Afghans. This help is still is needed. This is still continuing. There is no food. There is no resources for the Afghan Christian, just generally for the country, just starving. And, and, and people are dying just lack of food and, and, and medication and just as basic as antibiotics um, that we were able to do some, 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 provide some food packages, even medication that kids under five-year-old died of pneumonia just because they did not have an injection that would cost just $10. 
And so uh, that's the situation in the country right now, and particularly for the Christians, because they, even if there are aid from the other big agencies that are doing the food distribution, they are not able to go to receive that because the, very much the local authorities are involved in that. And so they want to filter and make sure people that are not in line with them, they don't give that food aid. That's one way to starve them, make them a starvation. And these are, these are the things that the world will never know unless they're in that situation or they know someone that's, that they have a list, the Taliban intelligence has a list. And they, if you're not on their list, you will not receive the food packages. And because there is lack of international staff for those agencies, they're also not able to bring that accountability. Their local employees are afraid for their life. They have to cooperate in some ways with that. Some of them might not really even be bothered with that because they go to local authorities and they say, help us, we want to this food distribution. So we have to step in for the Afghan Christian. We have to help them. I think that's very helpful for Christians outside of Afghanistan to appreciate I had a conversation just this week with a, a Christian who was who I was discussing the situation in Afghanistan, and he asked he asked if it was really a serious situation in Afghanistan, and I had to explain that this was probably the most in- intense persecution climate in the world. It was already difficult. The last ten years has been incredibly difficult for Christians there already, and then to have this scenario where the Taliban takes over the country. It's very difficult to really capture with words. I, I sense that since this, the situation in Ukraine occurred, that uh, a lot of the world's attention pivoted from the grim situation in Afghanistan and, and focused onto that very grim situation. And we as Christians obviously have to be there helping the local churches in the Ukraine um, as all of this happens to them. But we dare not ignore or forget our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. So this is very important. I, I did want to ask, you You touched on it. it. There's people starving. There's people that are going without medicine, simple medicine, inexpensive medicine. Is there any way that these Afghan Christians are able to support themselves or right now? Are they, are they pretty much dependent on sources of help, ministries, organizations that are able to somehow uh, get some assistance? How are they supporting themselves? My contact with the local believers inside the country is that there is no work at all and they are willing to work for a dollar a day but even just there is not much there is not any work that's going on there is no construction there is no mining there is nothing that's going on all you could do if you could sell something outside and even for that the high kind of taxes that the municipality is imposing on them they're not able to make money to to go so that they're mostly relying on the on the aid outside Uh, no they are able to make maybe $30, $40, $50 a month just to have some cash, but still that will not be able to provide for a family of seven or eight. So we are kind of chipping in and to helping in ways that, you know, we're providing some food or some medicine or some other things like that to be able to help the families. And they are trying to work, but it's just not enough. Women cannot go out. You know, if you're a teacher, you lost your job. If you're working in the government, you lost your job. And that just makes it very difficult for them to survive. One of the things that I'm reminded of in this terrible scenario, um, and we've talked about this a little bit in our previous conversations, but when Iran fell to an Islamic theocracy in 1979, God took that disaster and breathed life into the local churches, and the churches really grew and exploded in Iran after 1979. The same thing happened when the communists took power under Mao in China, 
1950, China falls. It looks like a disaster for the little Christian community in the country. God breathes life into it, and it grows and explodes and is rapidly replicating today, even today. Do you sense that God is going to do a similar move in Afghanistan, given this present circumstance? Yes, definitely. The kingdom of God doesn't work like the kingdom of the world. And God has all the power. He's a sovereign God. The church that did grow under the under the persecution, under the hardship, and a very much evidence of that. We see the book of Acts. The church grew under the empire Nero, and and brutally the Christian world executed all over. And that continues over the church history from Europe to America to Africa to Asia. The, the church has never been an easy way to go. It always grew under dictatorship, and Christians have died, and they have been imprisoned, and have been sent to exile. So this is not surprising for us, and we are expecting that the church in Afghanistan will grow because God's presence is there and God's spirit does work and, 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 and that. And we need prayers. We need prayers. We need people to join in that and asking God to, to work in the and, and, and use Afghans that are in the country, use Afghans or others that are outside and uh, touching Afghans' hearts and minds. Um, from this difficult situation open open their eyes to see god god is god's goodness because i think the question that even comes for these afghans that suffer that are not christian that generally if there is a god if god exists if god exists is he a good god i have had this question so many of my afghan friends are asking but we do know that god is real god exists and he is good the bible says test and see that god is good so we want them to see the lord we want them to test the lord that he exists he is he is a good god he is father and uh but the question that comes around this is that is unanswered and of course we know the answer for that the bible to answer that question well i imagine that the afghan christians inside afghanistan the afghans in the refugee camps even the afghans that made it out are having to pivot from just responding to the crisis, but now what do we do in the midterm? We got to have a long-term game plan. And I think that's what Christians outside Afghanistan have to do as well. This has to be a long-term act of intercessory prayer, act of support, remembrance of the church in Afghanistan. This isn't a flash in the pan scenario. We have to be mindful and intentional in our prayer efforts and, and how we use our resources everything to stand with the the brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. How can Christians, you said they need prayer, how can Christians pray for you? How can Christians around the world pray for those in the country, these Afghan believers who we love and who God loves? How can we pray for them? The persecution, it's uh, uniting Christians, but also scattering. And so the Afghan church is now in a scattered church and around the world. The prayers that they will stay in, in unity, they will stay in fellowship, they will stay connected. And the, we don't know how God has opened the doors for Afghans to go to Brazil. And he has a purpose and a plan for them because God is not wasting in his, his time, in his people's time. So we know that God is at work. He has a plan for that so that, that we have wisdom. And, and for us around us, how to be involved in the country because the regime changes, but our mission don't change. We're called to preach the good news. 
and we're called to baptize and teach them and, and disciple them. And so that, that doesn't change if the regime changes. That doesn't change if the election and the, the different parties changes because as Christians, this has been through the centuries, our mission. Certainly it's difficult in places like Afghanistan, more challenging, but our mission exists the same. It's not changed as of last year or as of 10 years. Well, with the Christian Emergency Alliance, we want to, to help you and other believers practically support and spiritually support uh, these precious families, these precious believers. Um, so we're committed to doing that. We're uh, doing a little. We'd like to do more. If others want to, to partner with us, we'd be excited about that. But would you also share with our listeners how else, uh, what other options, how you would encourage them to practically support uh, these efforts, like you said, just to help them with these critical needs? Uh, practical help for the Afghans that are especially inside the country and the ways that, you know, we provide food packages for them. It costs about $120, $130 to feed a family inside the country. There are Afghans who are living in the nearby countries that the same thing, they need help. They're waiting to go somewhere. And, and of course, they have farm, the small churches, fellowships, but the life doesn't get easier. You mentioned of the Ukrainian Christians, when they get out of Ukraine and the Eastern Europe, there is so many churches that are open, at least they're not going to be persecuted because of being Christian. From Afghanistan, you step out, you're going to be persecuted again because of your faith, because none of our countries around us, our neighbors, the Christians, also minorities there, they're under persecution. Those Christians, they went far, putting themselves at risk to help Afghan Christians, and we're very thankful of that, but there is so much that they can do. There is a lot of limitation for them to be able to help, and also economically, financially, the churches are not in that good stand to be able to help, so we do need help for this as well. Okay. Well, how can our listeners find out more about your ministry and follow what you're doing? We're the Afghan Outstreet Network. The website, they can um, log in there and know more about it. Of course, there is not much of resources in English, but we do have a number of books that we translated. We also have a podcast that's going on in Dari and trying to help and, and, and teach the Afghan Christians and even non-Christians answer their question. Even as we are talking, the podcast have been always going on. We have a number of ministries, a YouTube channel that's that we are helping and a number of online churches that uh, are meeting there in Dari and in pastoral languages that people are going. So they can pray for those and they can find out from our website more about that. Okay, well, we can put all that information into our show notes so that any of our listeners that want to go learn more, they can do that there. Uh, But Luke, I just want to thank you for taking some of your time. I know you're a busy man, and I'm grateful for all that you're doing for the kingdom. And I do pray that God empowers you and equips you to do amazing things through the Afghan Christians and uh, that they are going to be richly blessed through your service. And we're going to continue to lift them up in their, their difficult trials. So... Thank you for sharing some of your time with us, and I appreciate you joining. Thank you. It was a pleasure always to talk to you, and thank you for advocating for the Afghan Christians, for the prayers and the awareness that we have raised through this year, and I always got messages from you, how we can pray, and practically that you guys have helped us, and and I'm really thankful for that. Thank you for joining us today for the Christian Emergency Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends about us and ask them to subscribe as well. To learn more about the Christian Emergency Alliance or financially invest in our ministry, 
visit us at www.christianemergency.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you again for listening and stand strong out there.